Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 406th show is Dr. Glenn Story, Associate Professor of Classics at the University of Iowa, and we're going to be talking about the archaeology of ancient cities. Our history buffs are Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. And Terry, why don't you start us off? All right, thank you. Yes, Glenn, you had mentioned that there are seven primary civilizations around the world along with many, many secondary civilizations. I'm curious, what criteria did you use to choose the ancient cities that you have in your book? Okay, yeah. I, um, since the chapters are called primary and secondary, I just thought of the ones that I knew fit in both categories, right? So I'm not a a specialist in Egyptian archaeology, but I follow it pretty closely, and and I I even teach a, a freshman seminar um, uh, to, to incoming students, the basics of Egyptian hieroglyphs. So I had known about the city of Hierakonpolis in Egypt, which is basically the first city there. And so I knew that that was primary. And then in my own experience of excavation, uh, I, dis- I think that there's fair agreement that both Teotihuacan and the Maya are primary civilizations in Mesoamerica, so Teotihuacan and Copan, the city where I I spent about a year of my life excavating, um, uh, counted. And then I just looked at the others. I'm a specialist in in Roman demography, so um, Rome was obvious. But then I had to choose others, and um, a, a book I did in 2006 had a guest uh, author, uh, Sarah Nelson, um, at Denver University, and she got me fascinated with Gyeongju in Korea. And so I, I decided that's definitely a secondary uh, place. And then Great Zimbabwe in, in Zimbabwe, um, the, uh, the African urban tradition that started in East Africa and then, then appears in Southern Africa where Great Zimbabwe is, and then, as I said, West Africa. Okay, Brett. When you were looking at all of these various cities, um, what are some things that you saw that surprised you that uh, really stood out in one that you didn't find in any of the others or, or things like that? Wow, that's that's a great question. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, let me think. In In some respects, the most fascinating to me was was Gyeongju in in Korea. Uh, because, as I mentioned, we, we know that it was founded by a deliberate act of village amalgamation. And uh, it was just, re- and what was very strong in their royal history was the prominence of women. And, and of course, uh, you find out that uh, throughout the uh, history of early civilizations, that the prominence of women rulers is quite marked in in many cases 
and of course has been played down in the, the subsequent study of them. Egypt's a good example. We, we know of, of six women throughout its 3,000-year trajectory that were notable rulers. Um, and so having the detail from Gyeongju, but it, it, was, it is mostly in the burial mounds that uh, it, one of the most spectacular burial mounds, it's the woman ruler who has the, the preponderance of treasure that's buried with her to honor her, uh, obviously, as an important ruler. Okay. Um, is there, let's ask about um, geographics. I mean, from what, for the most part, not all, obviously, but when looking at the geographics, most of these uh, primary and secondary um, cities pretty much within the Tropic of Cancer and Capricorn on the equator, aren't they? I mean, they might be a little out of it, but you don't hear of any um, you know, major primary cities uh, in northern Europe for you know, quite some time. Is it climate has that much of a driving factor with it, you think? Or? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, that, that's really interesting because, you know, the, the European scholars there for a while were, were pretty smug about saying, you know, that, <laughs> that look at us, we're, we're on top of the world now. And so, you know, our civilization is the best. And obviously temperate climate is better for thinking, right, and being smart. But then, you know, the subsequent history of the study of civilizations turned that on its head. And we saw that, you know, some of the hottest places in the world produced the first civilizations. And so um, there... <sighs> You, you, you don't want to say, you know, that, uh, oh, yeah, you, you have to be in the tropics to have created these early places. And, and obviously there, there are some, some places on the edges that, that don't apply. Or, or if you think about it, if you're in the, the Andes at, the, the high, at, the, at Cusco, right. Right. you know, that's a cold place. And, and so, um, and then you, you go to, to Britain, and the Romans founded London there. I'm sure they found it unpleasantly cold. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have to be careful and, and what we're going to see. You know, we still have a lot of archaeology to do in a lot of different places um, to see what we get. And, and so... Yeah, it, it's true that uh, uh, the, the primary civilizations are, you know, in tropic or temperate zone, because after all, North China is temperate. Right. Um, right. And, right. And, um, but of course, you know, it was the wet rice agriculture in southern China that, that really created the, the most astounding sizes of cities and population densities, which you still have, you know, in India and China, the highest population densities in the world. Um, Glenn, I'm interested to go to the idea of uh, a setting up a city itself. Um, uh -huh. You used Rome as the example of a well-designed city in terms of water, um, providing water for a population. And I've read um, a fair bit about Angkor Wat as being a fairly poor-designed uh, city, <laughs> particularly when it came to dealing with hydraulics. Uh -huh. um, so can you kind of talk a little bit about city design? Is there a, a city blueprint that really seems to work or not work or... Um, how does that, you know, are organic cities that derive organically better off than cities that are pre-planned? Um, I'm just kind of interested in your thoughts on design. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's 
there's you can't say that uh, you know plant cities are better than the organically grown ones. Yeah, you know, because Rome is not a planned city. I mean, yes, they managed to get water into it after the fact. It's not, you know, Roman cities in Europe are on a grid because they're laid out initially as Roman legionary camps. And then they go off on a grid, and of course the Greeks had a grid that they probably copied in some fashion from Mesopotamia, which had cities on a grid, but you don't have to have a grid. Zim- Great Zimbabwe, you know, has circular huts for most of its residences, and circular shape in, in, in East Africa was common. So uh, you may think, well, maybe higher density requires rectangular structures and a grid pattern, but uh, higher density may not be the best thing. As, as a matter of fact, that's one of the interesting things about the low-density hypo-urban places is many of them are multicentric, and so you can imagine that resource delivery to those places was easier than having to send everything to a big main market in the center of, of a huge city. That would stress the uh, resource procurement, whereas lower density places sort of spread it around. And, it, and, and of course, lower density is probably uh, healthier and you know, less disease transmission, which, heaven, for heaven's sake, that's one thing that, uh, you know, we have pandemics because of cities on the, on the order of hundreds of thousands of people. Brett, you got a question? Well, since you bring up pandemics, I'm wondering... <laughs> What are some of the ways that these cities tended to deal with pandemics? Was it just Uh, kill off the people that it kills off and replace them with people from the countryside, or was there something more uh, circumspect? um, No, I I think cities, both ancient and modern, are uh, probably less healthy than, than rural areas. In the ancient world, we call this the urban graveyard effect uh, because sanitation problems and malnutrition are serious problems in ancient cities and don't have a lot of mitigation where you do have more today. But even modern cities depend a lot on in-migration. People come in for the, the economic opportunity. They did that in the ancient world also. Um, now, as far as dealing with a pandemic, the first big pandemic is the Antonine Plague, starting in 165 A.D. Uh, in the city of Rome. It came probably from the eastern Mediterranean, and um, and it it was a disaster. Um, you know, thousands of people died every day. Um, and then it had recurrences throughout uh, up until about 190. And, um, you know, we, we know that it, that it was just a, a terrible thing to, to deal with. Now, a colleague and I calculated that the, um, uh, this is Rick Payne at the University of Utah, we calculated that the effects of the Antonine Plague probably lasted 90 years. And then in 251, the plague of Cyprian strikes. We think the Antonine Plague was smallpox. We don't even know what the plague of Cyprian was. Um, and so um, the demographic uh, depression on the city of Rome probably lasted a certain amount of time. On the other hand, just like during the, the Black Death, um, when so many people die off, 
the labor uh, gets, uh, people are paid more for their labor because it's more scarce. And so there is a, something of an economic upturn and, and an improvement in the standard of living of the survivors, ironically enough. Terry, you got a question? Yes. Um, Glenn, I'd like to return to Copan. You sure. said you had spent a year there excavating. Can you mm-hmm. share with us some of the highlights of your time there? <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, I, I didn't really dig in the main group, the fancy stuff. We were testing the results of the regional survey, so I, I dug the poor people's um, compounds. <laughs> and, and, um, and there was one uh, on the hillside where we could see the border with Hon- uh, between Honduras and Guatemala, and, and I, I d- you know, we were testing the survey that said there were three mounds, and when I strip excavated the site, there were five and maybe more. And I sent uh, crews every uh, few meters to dig test pits to see uh, if the sherd count continued. And it fell off, and then it picked up again, and I realized there was another site. And so this was the suburbs of Copan, where most of the common people lived. And, you know, we'd find things like little figurines that were whistles, and we thought that was really something. But, you know, it... It wasn't fancy stuff, but you you got an appreciation of what life in the ancient city must have been like, and that it was there were a lot of people there, and they had a common lifestyle. We would like to thank our guest for the 406 show, Dr. Glenn Story, associate professor of classics at the University of Iowa, who talked with us about the archaeology of ancient cities. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KAL Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA St. Ambrose University.